evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill's Telephone Education Series. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Bill Takeshita, Chief of Optometric Services for the Center for the Partially Sighted and Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. And tonight we have a very special guest with us, Diana Dennis, uh, who is the Director of Early Intervention and Children's Programs for TLC for the Blind in the San Fernando Valley, will also be joining us to talk with Dr. Bill regarding technology and young children. So without further ado, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Bill. Well, thank you very much, Sue, and also thank you, Diana, for participating in this conference. It's always great to have you on the show. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Yes. Well, tonight we're going to be changing our discussion a little bit, and basically what we're talking about is what types of technology is available to help children who are visually impaired. And we read so often in the newspapers and we see it on television, all the advances in technology where there are new super-duper computers and processors and we even have the cell phones that could virtually do anything that you want. And the question that many parents and teachers ask us is, are there any types of technologies that can be used to help children with low vision? And tonight we're going to answer those questions, and the answer to that is absolutely yes. Now, before we begin to answer that question, I basically want to review one of the basic concepts about vision and children with low vision. The first thing that all the parents and teachers and doctors have to keep in mind is that vision is a learned and developed skill. You know, we often think that a newborn child is born with the level of vision that an adult has. But in reality, a newborn child is much, much less than that of an adult. And what we found through different types of research is that as a child grows older, the greater the amount of visual stimulation that enters the child's eyes, it will actually have a productive value in that it can develop more vision. In the 1970s, there was a Nobel Prize-winning study that's very, very popular where these scientists, Drs. Hubel and Weasel, they took kittens that were perfectly healthy and they simply raised them in different environments. One group of kittens were raised in a typical environment that had colors and patterns and toys and lights to look at. The second group of kittens, they were raised in a room that only had black and white stripes. And the third group of kittens were deprived of stimulation. These kittens had their eyelids sutured shut so that they could see absolutely nothing. And weeks later, they then evaluated the vision of these kittens, and what they found was that the kittens that were raised in a normal environment with all the colors and lights and toys, their vision was excellent. These kittens could travel through a maze and find their way through the maze without any problems. The kittens that were raised in a room that only had black and white stripes could only see those types of stripes. When they were put in a maze that had different types of patterns and shapes, those kittens could not travel through the maze. And the kittens who did not receive any stimulation of light, those that had their eyelids closed shut, those kittens were actually blind. 
So the first part of that research just shows that the amount of stimulation that an animal receives, it does affect the development of vision. The next step of their research, they wanted to find out what part of the kittens is different between the three groups. They looked at the eyes of all three groups of kittens, and they found that the eyes were basically the same. They then looked at the brains of all three groups of kittens, and they found that there was a particular region of the brain in the back of the brain called the occipital lobe that was very different between the three groups. The kittens that were reared in a normal environment, the cells in the occipital lobe were very large and very healthy, but the kittens who have their eyelids closed shut, the cells in their occipital lobe of the brain were very small. So the next thing that these scientists did is they said, well, maybe we could restore the vision of these blind kittens by stimulating them with colors and patterns and lights and toys. So they took the blind kittens and put them in rooms where there were all these patterns, stimulation, and lights, and they found that those kittens who were at one time totally blind, they were able to develop more vision simply by putting them in an environment with more stimulation. So the moral of the story here is that we do see that the development of vision is directly related to how much stimulation that the eyes and the brains of these children receive. And number two, for the children or kittens that do have low vision, if we present them in an environment where we could give them more stimulation, it has a greater chance of improving their vision. Now, this is not to state that we can promise every child will regain normal vision. But we do find that with the visual stimulation, many children who have low vision, they develop higher levels of vision. We're talking about children who have cortical vision impairment, children with optic nerve hypoplasia, children who are born premature. All of these kids can benefit from receiving more and more stimulation. So in the past, there were many different types of toys and different types of patterns that teachers for the visually impaired would give to parents. And Sue, can you tell mm-hmm. us about what are some of the examples of visual stimulation toys or patterns that were maybe used you know, 10 or 15 years ago to help the children with low vision? Well, I think there's a variety of things that we can talk about. Um, we certainly would begin with using pen, a pen light to see, um, to be able to determine whether or not the baby has has the ability to uh, focus on light, to be able to be have a, awareness of light, to be alert to light. Um, we would use um, different types of flashlights and pen lights to kind of assess that type of, of visual awareness. Uh, we might then move on to using an APH light box. Um, that might be a motivator for some children, um, those type of things, um, using screen and overlays and different types of gamma patterns, um, black and white patterns, maybe some multicolor patterns depending upon the severity, you know, the complexity of it, what the child could tolerate. We would then maybe move on into mylar balloons, looking at uh, mylar paper. Um, we would look at maybe using um, 
stained glass prisms that we would attach to a, a window that might provide a motivator for this baby to move towards that window. Um, always, you know, again, using the, using light as a um, as a as a motivator, as a way to be able to give the child a, a sense of, of, of purpose, purposeful looking, and then move on into using black and white, black, white, black and white, red, different kinds of patterns in that regard. Um, a lot of the kind of the bumper guard things you see on a baby's crib we would use, the mobile kinds of things. Um, we would use homemade toys where we'd wrap um, toilet paper or um, or paper towel rollers of mylar uh, wrapping paper to get that shiny effect and then use the pen light in conjunction with that. So using pom-poms um, to be able to kind of, again, to diffuse the light and see how the baby might respond to that. Um, again, all this during this time, we would be observing to determine what level of, of visual function would be most um, apparent in the child's response. So it might be that child might really enjoy the pom-pom but not really respond well to a mylar balloon. Maybe it was the movement. Maybe that also created some level of sound that might attract the baby. So there's a variety of things that we've used, um, and I probably could go on and on. But these are, these are a sample of some of the things we've used, certainly things like bubbles, things that would have movement, things that would have um, balls that would be able to kind of a child would be able to track um, using a black bowl with white wiffle balls was always one of our favorites because then the baby could drop it in and get the sound and the cause and effect, and there was that direct um, um, direct contrast in that regard. And certainly just using a black blanket or a white blanket um, to make a toy or object stand out more. So those are a few ideas. Yeah, and, and it really sounds like the, the very nice thing about that is you could virtually go through your home and you could search for things, whether you have mm-hmm. a white sheet or a gray sheet or a black blanket, or you could look for different types of mylar wrapping paper, uh, pom-poms, and you would be very creative in finding toys that would stimulate your child's vision. Mm-hmm. And they'd be low-cost and things that families, would, like I said, would have kind of accessible to them, um, available to them, things that also things that, you know, you could certainly go out and purchase. I mean, a slinky for 99 cents of the dollar store is always a fun, was always a fun object too. Um, but again, that was, it, it created one path for a, a family and a child to kind of encourage their child's vision. Um, and, um, but again, trying to find things that are accessible to the family. Yeah, now, one of the things that's really important that all children receive is that all children really should be receiving an eye examination by an ophthalmologist, and the ophthalmologist is a medical doctor who will look at the tissues of the eyes, and we also recommend that all children will receive a functional low vision examination, often performed by an optometrist. Other times it may be performed by an ophthalmologist, and there's also many vision teachers who are very skilled in performing these functional vision assessments. Mm-hmm. Now, during these functional vision assessments for children, one of the things that we really want to do is we want to measure the visual skills of the child. For example, we want to find out what is the furthest distance that that child can see. Today, I had a child that came into our office. They came in all the way from Guadalajara, Mexico, 
and the mother just wanted to know how far away can her child see. Her child had a disease called optic nerve hypoplasia, and we found that her distance vision was very poor, and she could only see something that was about 12 inches from her eyes. We then went ahead and performed some other testing, and we found that we could prescribe glasses, and with the glasses, it improved her ability to see toys and objects at 10 feet away. So this is something that we think is going to really help this child to begin to walk because this child at this time is not walking. So we want to find out what distance can a child see. Number two, we want to find out what direction does a child see the best. Some children, they have very good central vision, so when they look straight ahead, they could see. But maybe when they're using their peripheral vision, to look below or to the right or to the left, they do not see in their peripheral vision. Their vision might be similar to looking through a straw. And these are the kids who are often very clumsy and they knock things over. They have poor eye-hand coordination and they often, again, are very, very hesitant to move. We then want to find out what colors does the child see best? What is the child's color vision? Are there certain colors that the child could see better? And are there certain colors that the child has more difficulties? We next want to find out, does a child respond better to objects that are moving or objects that are stationary? It's kind of interesting that there are different areas of the brain. One part of the brain allows us to see something that is stationary, and another part of the brain allows us to see things that are moving. So you may then notice that for some children, such as many children with cortical vision impairment, they often enjoy looking at toys that are moving or rotating or spinning. And these are the kids who may love looking at the pom-poms. But if you have another toy that does not move, they don't like that. We also will determine what level of lighting would be best. Does this child need the objects to be very bright or is even better? Some children could see things better when it's dim. So these are just some of the examples of things that we look for during the functional vision assessment. And then we will write a report and make specific recommendations regarding what kinds of activities to use with a child to stimulate the development of vision. Now, one of the, the most technological advances that really seems to have made a big difference is the Apple iPad. And many of you probably have seen or heard of the Apple iPad, but I'm going to ask Diana, because I know Diana and her group of specialists, they have been using the iPad for quite a while now, and they have a lot of experience with it. So, Diana, would you mind telling us what is the Apple iPad and how, how does it work to help you in working with children? Well, I'm, I'm imagining most people have seen the iPad, but um, it or it is a device that's used for a variety of things. You know, it can be used for simple games. It can be used as a communication tool. It can be used for for the kids we see. We we use it often for uh, visual uh, stimulation and interest and in engaging kids with either you can do um, auditory books. 
you can do books where they're you know where they're they're looking at the books and turning the pages so it can be for a child with low vision or a child with no vision um the 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 iPad is used in it can be used as a you know accessing the internet and it can be used as a video recorder and it can be used as a a tool to record uh the child's audio you know the child's voice so that they can hear what they sound like while they're um you know playing or learning there's a variety of things you can do with it but it's um it's been really amazing to watch how kids are drawn to it much more but in a different way than the the light box. So the traditional light box mm-hmm. is what I I think of as you know what we used before we had the iPad mm-hmm. and people started with cell phones and then you know yeah. noticing that their babies were responding to cell phones. Well now the iPad is you know a bigger a bigger device. I don't know what the measurements are exactly, but there's about maybe a six by five inch screen that mm-hmm. allows the child to have a bigger target visual target, and so. Um, you know, we use it a lot for simple cause and effect apps where there's that's really sensitive to touch, so there's no correct or incorrect uh, way to push it. The child just has to touch the screen and they get a uh, cause, you know, ref, uh, an effect. So like a sim- simple, uh, there's a game or an app called Peekaboo Barn, and the child touches it and out of the barn shake, you know, comes an animal, and then the animal gets larger, and then the, then the animal makes the sound and then the app will make the word. So it helps, you know, a child understand what an animal might sound like and then gives the child the actual word so they can pair the word with the the, the sound. Um, and then it goes back to the, you touch it again, and then the screen goes back, and so the child can try again, and it gets a different <laughs> feedback. So there's lots of different uh, apps, if you will, and the apps or the applications are different um different ways that you can learn uh, lots of different things. So, mm-hmm. And some of the things that's really great about these apps uh, is that they're very affordable, aren't they? They're very affordable. Many many are free. Many are free. Many are you can just try out, um, and then you can get the, the light version, the, and then when you order the light version, you get an idea, will this work for my child or, or is this mm-hmm. too hard? And then if you think it's going to work and you feel like, oh, I can do this, this looks really easy, then you think maybe I'm going to order it and pay the $1.99. Or I think the most I've ever paid for an app is $3.99. And, um, you know, I think the, the ones that I particularly like are those who have apps where you can alter the color palette. So you can change the color of the object that's being shown on the screen. You can change the background. You can make it brighter or dimmer. You can make it red, purple, yellow, you know, all sorts of different colors. That You can make it a pattern color. So those kinds of apps that really allow you to control it to the sense, to, to make it meaningful for your child, um, I think are the best uh, and most useful from what, what we've tried out. Yeah, that's great, you know, because uh, there are many children where there's a certain particular color, and with that color it will attract their attention. So, um, first of all, what about for what we call just the basic vision stimulation? Let's say that we have a child who is six months or younger, and the child doesn't move or crawl or do any of those things quite yet. And I know that one of the things that we like to recommend is to stimulate the eyes of the child by using something such as an iPad and 
holding it about 12 to 16 inches in front of the child's eyes. Maybe move it a little bit to see if the child will follow it by turning her head. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of your recommended applications for that type of vision stimulation? So my favorite one is called infant visual stimulation, and it's just a black and white um, and red pattern with nice, soothing music. I don't know if you heard that, but <laughs> it's very nice music in the background. Um, and you can turn the music off if it's too stimulating. There you go. Who has it? Um, if it's yeah, too stimulating. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can, you can either have it on an automatic slideshow or you can do it manually so the child swipes their fingers across or the adult might swipe their fingers across. Um, so you can control the movement because some kids, if it moves too quickly, they're looking away and it's too much stimulation. And then some can handle just looking at one still image, and then you can change it at the pace that's appropriate for that child. Another good one that we really like is the, called the baby symbolizer, and it's also a black and white and red um, pattern. It's by something called um, Hug-A-Mind, and it's a high-contrast sem- uh, sensory stimulator with an interactive and a slideshow component. And again, it's red, white, and black patterns. Um, you can make one, you know, image uh, big, large on the screen, or you can make it small. You can have a bunch of little images on the screen, or you can make it, again just a single image. The nice part, one of the nicest things about the iPad for children with low vision is that you can really magnify things so simply. So you can magnify text really easily and. Um, just with the you know the touch of your fingers, you can really uh, make it bigger or smaller depending on what the child's needs are. Another really good great one is called Tap and See Little Bears See that was designed specifically for children with CBI, um, and that's a really good one too. That's got just nice colored images that you can also control the settings. Um, so maybe you would start out because uh, with most children during the first month of their life. They primarily do only see black and white patterns. And as they get older, you could then progress to these other applications you have that have more of the color. Is that how you generally will do that? Yes, definitely. Those two are the, the, the two I use the most for any any child pretty much under nine months, any in, um, or the baby symbolizer and the infant stimulation one. And can you just share with the audience, Uh, For some of those who do not have the iPad, how would you magnify some of the images to make it bigger uh, with using your fingers on the screen? uh, The the iPad is very sensitive to touch, so you basically, um, it's usually just either a swipe of a finger or you take your fingers all together, you put your thumb and all four fingers together and you just kind of touch the image and the the image enlarges. there's also different settings that you can control. So you can go into your setting and you can do you can control it so it can be just a tap, so it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have the multitasking gestures that that they all come preset with. You can turn off the setting so that you can te- create it so it's just a tap, and it won't activate anything else. And so you can just do it with a tap. Great. That's great. Now, what about in situations as a child gets a bit older and is responding to these images and the child is uh, now trying to learn about the cause and effect 
uh, how do you use the iPad for cause and effect, or do you use a different application, Diane? Um, I, I use, a, again, a variety of them. There's, um, there's so many to choose from, but the kinds that I like are really simple visually. Um, there's one called bu- just Bubbles, and it's just mm-hmm. bubbles on the screen. You know, you touch it, and you can create as many bubbles as you want, and they're just popping them. So they're just touching. They're visually following the bubble on a, you know, a darkened screen, and then the bubble is like a light blue or a purple, and it has that nice contrast, and so they're just, you can do more, many bubbles where they have to move their finger around, isolate their finger, or they can just touch it with a couple of fingers and pop the bubbles. There's also a really um, nice one, just fireworks, just a bunch mm-hmm. of fireworks, and you just touch it, touch the screen, and you create a nice visual image of fireworks. There's also just a pocket, it's called, it's a, it's basically like a dry erase board, and it's called Pocket IRD, I think is what it is, and it, 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 it has a nice audio output, so if the child they has, it looks like a dry erase board, a white dry erase board, and on the bottom it has red, black, blue, green dry erases that you can choose from, and then the child just takes their finger and they can do a drawing with their finger, but... The part that I like the best is that when you draw with it, you can hear the audio. You can hear your, what you're making. So, depending on what the child's vision and auditory senses, it gets it gives them, you know, lots of information so they can kind of see and track what they're what they're doing. And then, of course, there's dozens of ABC ones that are <laughs> really really great. But of course, I like Elmo's ABCs because Elmo's bright and red and attractive and funny and and the kids really like that, as well as um, any of the Dr. Seuss books are really great and interactive, and so the child can touch on any of the images as they go through the Dr. Seuss um, stories. You know, it's really interesting now. When children are coming into our office now for their appointments or for a follow-up checkup, I'm finding that more and more of the parents are coming in with an iPad. And, you know, as the kids are waiting inside the waiting area and such, they're playing with the iPad and things like that. And and this visual stimulation device has really become, you know, what the child perceives as a great toy, but we're we're doing so much visual stimulation. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. There's a great one called Sound Shaker, which is um, something by Tickle Tap App, and it um, has a a variety of different uh, things on the screen that you can tap, and um, and then you can make music with that, and so or make a sound with that, and so it's another great cause and effect. The children can have a, a visual screen where they get to make a choice, and then once they've become used to it, they start to know, like, okay, this is in the right corner, this might be in the left. You know, they start mm-hmm. to decipher where those particular images and that go along with, say, a piano or a drum or uh, a shaker or something like that. So that's another really good one. I like listening apps because they really can help a child develop their listening and their vision skills at the same time. So those, um, that's a nice thing, too. And, uh, Sue, I know that you also are using the iPad as well. Do you mm-hmm. have any concerns? I know that some parents have concerns that if this little infant is touching the screen, it's going to crack the screen or it's going to break the device? Or Have you had any experiences such as that where you thought maybe the iPad is too delicate 
for a child? Uh, yeah, um, I haven't really heard much of that. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the most important things is you look for screens or, I mean, for cases and such that kind of protect the iPad so it's not when you drop it, it's not going to be a, uh, you know, a major concern. I mean, you'd be able to protect the iPad itself. Um, I think that naturally when you use it as a tool and you want to let the child be able to, to explore it, they're going to be getting lots of smudges and such, but that's part of the process of, of using a, this, is, this device as a interactive toy. So probably a good screen cleaner is a good idea so that you can kind of keep it, you know, preserve things. But um, no, I haven't really heard too much, and I think it's something that I think of families are really um, looking at this as a tool that they think that their child can benefit from, then, then it's not as that's sort of a secondary concern. There's also some really great protective cases out there. There's one particularly called the gumdrop case, so that when mm-hmm. a child, particularly a child with low vision, has it, the back of it has um, got a really um, different textured feel to it, and, so, and mm-hmm. it also has a hard case inside the soft case. And then there's one called Big Grips, which is a frame mm-hmm. in its hand, and it's yeah. pretty much all, I mean, nothing's indestructible, but but <laughs> if you dropped it, um, I was at a task workshop not too long ago, and they said somebody had dropped it, and it just kind of bounced, and it had enough of a protective layer that it, it, it managed to save the screen. Um, and so there's a few different, there's a couple of other ones that are just really nice uh covers that really help for particularly for children who are maybe going to use it in a more mm-hmm. physical, you know, have more physical movements with less motor control. Yeah. yeah. Diana, where did you find these particular types of cases? Where can some of our listeners uh, uh, purchase these cases? Do they buy that on the iTunes store where they also buy the application programs? I think the two, the couple that I just mentioned are more specific. You could just Google and order them online. They, I, I mm-hmm. have not seen those in the iPad store or on the I, mm-hmm. iPad website because they're more specialized. Um, but also I just bought one recently at um, at like Marshall's or Ross. You can buy like a little leather one that looks like a day planner that is mm-hmm. also quite nice and made out of leather and, and also very protective. But the, the couple that I just mentioned are very specific for children with, um, with disabilities, I believe. There's also a website, um, and you know, we, we use quite a bit, um, wonderbaby.org.org. Yeah, I know Diana uses that one quite quite often too. There's quite a, a, a lot of information on iPad um, apps, and you know some of the tricks some moms and things have found over the years, and, and uh, you know using it in a blog and such that provides a little information. But I'm sure that there's lots of links there that might help families too. They have a great. Um a thing on wonderbaby.org called iPad Accessibility, and it's yeah. a whole, um, like a handout basically with some video that shows um, some how to how to use um, some of you know how to use the iPad for kids with physical and motor you know motor challenges, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. to use the voiceover and the speak selection and the camera. So they've got it broken down really nicely, as well as even yeah. connecting it to Braille displays. Yeah, and a good review of of appropriate apps too. Yes. Yeah. Well, many times what also is nice about the iPad is we know that many children with low vision, many times they're delayed in their gross motor skills. So some kids with low vision, maybe they don't sit up very well or they can't actually position themselves on their stomach comfortably and lift their head. So with the iPad, uh, we could also use that as a stimulus 
to encourage the kids to develop their core strength or to develop their head control and things. Um, is that something that you also do, Diana? Absolutely. We do a lot with um, tummy time, using it as a motivator for tummy time. We have so many kids who are challenged by being on their stomachs, and visually it's not as exciting for a child with normal vision, and so we use the iPad as a, as a way to, to get them to lift their heads or to roll or turn their head in a particular direction. I also use it a lot for kids who um, don't look necessarily into their lower field yet, and we want them to look down and to you know explore something in front of them, and so it's a good motivator to encourage them to look down at something. And then mm-hmm. uh, we interchange that with maybe a, a tray play, an activity, and then bring back the iPad or make it as a choice, you know, use it as a choice-making tool. Oh, those are great ideas. Really good. I know that um, uh, some of the other things that other teachers have recommended and told us how they use, many times that they are just using mini DVD players and they'll get different types of videos and they'll move the DVD player in different areas uh, so that the child will look and focus. Are there some other types of common technology that you like to use uh, to stimulate vision? There is, there's, so, there's a variety of different things, um, but particularly using um, light boxes are, are, are super helpful or anything with bright reflective properties. Sue was talking about all those great things in the beginning, and we do a lot with mylar paper or things that are shiny or there's these wonderful mirrors that um, I, I ordered recently that have mm-hmm. a mirror on the front side but a black and white pattern on the back, and so we mm-hmm. alternate that. It's probably been my, my most favorite tool <laughs> lately. But, uh, yeah. It's just back to the mirror in the black and white pattern, um, yeah. but it's paired together, so it makes a nice think peekaboo game where you can do the mirror and then you flip it back over to the black and white and then you do the mirror, and so it's a great motivator for the children yeah. who are um, working on head control. Yeah. And that's still available through Wimmer Ferguson. Is that where you get it? I got it through Playworks, yeah. actually. Playworks. Okay, yeah, naturally. Okay, good. Playworks, and um, which is a great place, a great resource yeah. for those type of toys. Um and good. is that a website for Playworks, playworks.com? Do you, does anybody know? Yeah, it's www.playworks.org. Great. And I know that one of the things that we have told a lot of parents, you know, many parents are sometimes a little bit saddened. They say, we can't afford to spend money on an iPad right now. Uh, is there anything that we could do with our notebook computer? And I have instructed them and increase the brightness of the notebook computer screen, and I simply automatically turn on the different screen savers. And mm-hmm. as the different screen savers are floating across the screen and things, a lot of kids like that. Uh, have you had any other types of recommendations that relate to computers and notebook computers? Well, just videos in general. I have a few families who really, um, their babies are very stimulated by, you know, Disney movies, which, you know, for our young, young kids, you know, I'm not always thinking on that line, but I I have a mom who recently found that her baby really was, really liked some of the Disney videos. So she does what you described with with her laptop, and she just places it on the floor, and, um, and it, you know, creates her baby, gives her baby an opportunity to turn her head, um, to look and listen to the music or the, the you know, 
and how much she's taking in visually, we're not exactly sure, but she's certainly motivated and happy and content to um, look and listen, and she's not, you know, she's not sleeping, she's very engaged, and it's, you turn it off or you turn it to a different song, if it's a video and a song, she, she, it's very evident that she's showing you um, which is her, you know, one that she likes and one that she doesn't like. <laughs> so she's starting to show that, you know, favorite by the choices that we're, you know, showing her or playing for her. Yeah, it's it's really great that we, you could be so creative with things that you have. And even with mm-hmm. your notebook computers and the screen savers, a child mm-hmm. could touch the space bar, which mm-hmm. is, you know, the largest key on the keyboard, and they could change the screen savers and do other types of things like that as well. Uh, Sue, what are some of the other types of technology that uh, you have run across in addition to the iPad and all of these different applications and the computer, has there been mm-hmm. anything new recently that you have explored? Well, I, you know, getting back to that screensaver idea, I, I just just a quick comment. I remember there was a, a little boy several years ago, and and it was just when home computers were becoming <laughs> so far far back I go when home computers were becoming more um, prevalent and. I do remember there was a, a little a, a, a young boy I was working with uh, who really, really uh, the, that particular screensaver made uh, such an impact in his his interest because he was he was he didn't have a lot of mobility and did not was not able to turn his head as as abruptly to 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 respond to things. But once he discovered the screensaver and the different geometric patterns it would show and and move through the screen, it was really quite an interesting response. He smiled and looked and, and moved much more fluidly, so it was pretty pretty, pretty amazing. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, I think right now the iPad is certainly the phenomena. That's certainly the area where people are very much interested in looking at, at um, technology. I think that um, the CCTV in, 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 in its different inceptions is still sort of a uh, an interest to many of our, you know, preschool and uh, kindergarten kids. I think it's pretty uh, pretty powerful to bring in a CCTV to a preschool classroom and be able to demonstrate, put a put a um, a leaf under that magnifier and be able to see, you know, it, and enlarged and to be able to then pull that leaf out and be able to feel it and have it have the texture in your hand at the same time be able to see it for the children's low vision. And then it becomes such a great tool for an inclusive preschool when you have other children who are able to see um, all of the, the, the magnification and the other implements in that. So, I mean, I think, again, it's, it's, it's combining new technology with what we know and then what is hands-on that creates this tremendous toolbox that um, we can offer that we couldn't offer maybe 10 years ago to children. So I think that's, that's what I think is the, the kind of the gift we have now in terms of technology. Yes, I, I think that the CCTV, which stands for closed circuit television, and they're also called video magnifiers. Mm-hmm. I think video magnifiers, the CCTVs, are fantastic types of uh, pieces of technology to help children, especially children who are about three and older. Mm-hmm. I sort of think of it that during the first three years of life, we use things such as the iPad and the light box and the computer screen, just a way to stimulate those areas of the brain. 
And as children get older and if their vision starts to develop to a higher level, the CCTV is a great way to stimulate their vision. Now, the reason that a CCTV is so great is that a CCTV is really nothing more than just, if you could imagine, a large computer screen, usually like a 22 or a 24-inch flat computer screen, and underneath there, there is a camera. So a child could put his or her hands underneath the camera, and they'll see it on the screen. Or you could get a little pocketbook, and with these different types of cardboard Barney books or anything like that, they could put that underneath there, and the child will then be able to see it on the screen. So the main features of the CCTV video magnifier is that, number one, it does allow the child to see things that they normally cannot see. And the way that the CCTV enables that is through increasing the magnification the CCTV could magnify something as much as 95 times. Now, if we think about a magnifier, such as a hand magnifier you see at the drugstore, that may magnify three or four times, whereas the CCTV could magnify things 95 times. So things could be made so much bigger that the child is able to see it much easier. The second thing that the CCTV video magnifier could do is it will increase the brightness and the contrast. So if you do have a book, maybe it's an old book and it's a faded book, you could literally put that faded book underneath the CCTV and when the child looks through it on the screen, it's going to look as though it's a brand new book. You could increase the contrast so it's black ink on a white paper and it won't look as though it's gray ink on gray paper. A third thing that the CCTV can also do is that it will also allow you to change the colors of the background and the text. So let's say, for example, you have a child who's a four-year-old that's just becoming interested in books and letters and numbers, and we know that this child is just really loves to look at pink or red. Well, we could change the controls on the CCTV so that all the letters on the page are going to be pink or red. And then we could then make the background a different color. So this way the child will be very interested in looking at the letters and it helps them to learn to identify the letters and numbers easier. And just this past month, there has been recent developments with CCTVs where there are now CCTVs that you could adjust the camera and you could focus it on something across the room, such as a chalkboard, and then you could focus the camera on a book on your desk and you could focus the camera to focus on your face so you could see yourself like a mirror. And if you do use it to focus on a book, for example, you could also then press a button and it will even read that page out loud for you. So one of the more popular types of video magnifiers that could do all of these things is a great one for children to use when they're going to preschool or kindergarten. It is called the Enhanced Vision Acrobat Da Vinci. The Acrobat Da Vinci. Um, another competitor has another one that's also very nice, 
and that's called the Freedom Scientific Onyx, O-N-Y-X. Now, one of the really nice things about these types of video magnifiers is that the monitor that the child is looking at, it sits right on the table, so the child doesn't have to look way up into the sky to try to see the screen because the monitor can be positioned very low on the table. It makes it really easy so that kids could color. They could get a coloring book and start to color with crayons and see it on the screen. They could look at books. They could build things. I have kids who build Legos and all sorts of other types of fun toys that way. And they could also use it just for learning. We had one boy, and when we showed it to him, he said, this is great. And the dad says, I think it's great, too. And the boy said, Dad, can we go home and can we put some snails underneath here? (laughs) He was so interested in seeing a snail, and he wanted to put the snail under there to look at it. So these types of desktop uh, video magnifiers are really some of the most important tools that a child who is partially sighted could use to begin to learn to read and write. One of the things that we also find is that many times these video magnifiers, uh, they're available at the schools. And so some of the schools may have the video magnifiers available for the child. Uh, But in cases, if a school does not, what are some of your recommendations in a situation like that, Diana, if maybe that parents, they take their child to kindergarten and there is no video magnifier to help the child to see? I think the key is to talk with your teacher, the visually impaired, and to really um, get the the accessibility, you know, the the technology that's necessary for your child written into the IEP because uh, a child needs to have access to all learning materials just like other children. And so if the equipment is not available at present when your child enters that classroom, um, it doesn't mean it's not possible to access it. And so the best way is to really talk with your team during the IEP meeting. You can call an extra IEP meeting if if necessary or you talk to your your special ed, you know, your or your regular ed teacher as well as your teacher of the visually impaired and really stress the importance of um, the need for your child to have you know as much access and magnification to help that child really learn and maximize mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I think that's a really great idea. And some of the other things that I would recommend uh, is that we, at our clinic, the Center for the Partially Sighted, we often receive donations of these types of machines. Now, these video magnifiers are between two and $3,000, and many times families will donate them to our center. And when we do receive a donation like that, we like to return the favor and donate it to families that are in need. So one thing that if you are a parent or a teacher or a friend of someone who may benefit from any other type of technology, whether it's an iPad or a video magnifier, I recommend that you would contact some of the low vision centers that are in your area, or you could find any of the low vision doctors in your area and let them know the situation that you would like to have one. You may also simply contact the manufacturers of these video magnifiers. Here in Los Angeles, one of the representatives, he's just been really great that 
there are some times that people will purchase the latest model and they want to return the old model. And the old model really isn't that old. It might be two years old, and uh, he has been kind enough to donate that to a lot of our families that have young children. Also, at some of the different types of technology shows, most cities will have technology shows of low vision. The American Council of the Blind, the National Federation of the Blind, many of these organizations have these conferences. And at these conferences, many times they will raffle off this kind of equipment. Uh, the last bit of suggestion for receiving some of this kind of equipment is to contact your uh, public service companies, uh, the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary Club, the Lions Club. We have had many of our patients that we have taken them. I have taken them to one of the lunches, and these are young kids, and I just introduce them, and I tell them the story that they would really like to have a machine, and uh, we will bring a sample of the machine, and they could see how the child could then read with it and they have been able to raise funds uh, to get these for, for the children. So overall, I know that many of these things are somewhat expensive, but there's many other people who are definitely willing to help. Um, before, before we close, Diane, I also wanted to ask you a question about that iPad. I know that there are now three versions of the iPad. There is the original iPad, there's the iPad 2, and then I think they call the new iPad the new iPad. <laughs> and I know that many times there are people who have purchased one of the originals, and now they want to get the latest version. Do you feel that for the purposes of vision stimulation that a family may consider purchasing one of the older models? Maybe they could get it use for 50 or or $100, do you recommend that? Or do you find that most of these applications need the latest, newest iPad? I, I don't think they need the latest, newest iPad, per se, particularly for our young young kids. Um, but sometimes to run some of the apps or, to, you know, particularly if you're using it for video purposes, then you need the iPad, too. Um, and we use it as a tool, as a teaching tool a lot, so we can look at, you know, how a baby's, you know, reacting to their environment, and then we, we look at it together with a family. So, so I mean, my recommendation is the Apple II. Personally, I think that one's a lot better and more easily, um, more readily available to use in the way we'd like it, you know, imagine families using it. But I think they're all really great, and so if you could get one for, you know, a, a really discounted price, I think that it wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be, it would worth buying and worth uh, downloading some of those you know apps for vision stimulation for sure. Okay, so maybe you get the iPad 2 and you could save $100 or so as compared to buying the newest iPad and you yeah. could use that $100 to buy different applications. Absolutely. Great. Yeah. Well, Sue, do you have anything else that we add before we open it up to questions from some of our audience? No, I think you both have covered it really well. <laughs> this is great. Um, no, I'm ready to open it up. Okay. Uh, Diana, do you have anything else that you want to add about new technology that you have tried, or should we open it up to questions? I think go ahead and open it up to questions. I think that's a great idea. 
Okay. Uh, so if you have any questions out there, I'm going to ask that you unmute your phone by pressing star six, and you can go ahead and ask questions to any one of us. And I just also want to remind you that in the coming days, this program, this podcast, it will be up at two locations. It will be up at the BrailleInstitute.org website at www.BrailleInstitute.org. And it will also be at the AirsLA.org website at www.AirsLA.org. Okay, let's see. Does anybody out there have any questions about any of the technology that might help your child or a child that you're working with? Uh, this is Patty McLaughlin, for students with vision impairments in Orange County, California. I was just going to comment that the APH catalog for this school year has already come out, and there's a product called Visio Book that is a mm-hmm. DCTV that's available with the quota funds for the school districts. Oh, good. Yeah, it's going to that maximize, but you're talking about CCTVs and how that gives access to students with low vision, and that's a new product that they're making available to the schools. That's great. Great. So that's great news. Hot off, hot off the press. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good news. Um, yeah, I don't have any questions. You've really covered a lot of information, so thank you. Yeah, thank so, you Sue, mm-hmm. yeah. would you mind just letting our audience know what is APH and what are the quota funds and how these quota funds could be beneficial for the, the family? Sure. Um, APH is American Printing House uh, for the Blind. It's been around since about 1849. It was the original kind of clearinghouse and and um, distributor of products for the blind in the, the U.S. and blind and vision impaired. And it is uh, quota funds are available through school districts by registering uh, school districts and through uh, private agencies by registering. Uh, students who are eligible based on the criteria that the APH program um, offers. It basically is legal blindness, and if you contact, if you go to the APH website, there's more information about registering students. But it does provide um, a level, a certain amount of quota funding for each student. I think it's, I'm not, I know, I'm not going to actually quote how much per student. You might know that, Patty, more than I do. But um, there is a, there is a a percent of amount uh, available to each student, and that is, uh, and that particular quota fund can go towards purchase of materials through the APH catalog. Um, again, that is online, and the website is www.aph.org. Um, if you have a student that you're working with who is legally blind, um, then you can certainly, you know, you know, go ahead and pursue eligibility for that child. And I also just want to comment that they have, you know, things from low-tech to higher-tech, like Patty's mm-hmm. devices and just equipment that's really helpful. I, I recently purchased um, these little, they're just, they basically add, made the icons that the school was working with the child, um, gave it higher contrast as well as weight. They're just a little, like a, like a little black board that you would put the icon on, and it just helped hit the child tactually as well as visually be able to decipher his icons better than a child whose whose communication board might have been right next to his and it you know helps him be able to get them easier because his fine motor skills are not as 
as swift to handle right. it was it was just laminated and so it was a really simple thing that helped him with his calendar board and so mm-hmm. oh that's great yeah. yeah, the American Printing House, there's really an amazing organization and that they will produce all sorts of different products, many times based on what ideas maybe teachers or parents have. Mm-hmm. And they do have items that are going to help children, young children, who are totally blind to begin to read Braille. And they also do have products such as the CCTVs that you can then use quota funds perhaps to obtain that. And that really mm-hmm. is great because sometimes without the assistance of these quota funds, there just isn't enough money in the school district to buy that machine. But using the quota funds, that could be something that could be very helpful. So, well, I want to thank uh, Diana Dennis for your time and your expertise here this evening. As always, you're, you're such a, a big wealth of knowledge. And uh, Sue, also want to thank you for all the input that you have. And we invite all of you to uh, join us next month when we, again, continue bring you more information on developing the vision uh, for young children. And last but not least, I'd like to thank Mr. Joe Yurka from Airs LA for recording this podcast. And, again, it will be up shortly on the Braille Institute webpage at www.brailleinstitute.org and also at www.airsla.org. Okay, thank you very much, and we'll see you next month. Good night, everybody.